Welcome to a special podcast episode of This Week in College Viability. My name is Gary Stocker. My guest today is a longtime higher education leader, serving as president of many colleges, including Central, Central Missouri State here in my great state of Missouri, and most recently Henderson State University just down the street in Arkansas. Dr. Ambrose is currently serving as a senior higher education strategist at the law firm Hush Blackwell. Our topic today is his new book, Colleges on the Brink. Dr. Ambrose, welcome. Gary, it's good to be with you, and I uh, have looked forward to this conversation and appreciate what you're doing to kind of uh, focus people's attention on the overall value proposition of college. And I want to set the stage. The book title, Colleges on the Brink, is ominous. It's an ominous title. But you make the case regularly in your book that it's not necessarily a fatal business condition for colleges. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But let's just start, if you would, please, with your characterization of the state of higher education in 2023. Yeah, you know, uh, Gary, I'm going to revisit what you just said in terms of ominous. Uh, I think the the subheader of the book, uh, the case for financial exigency, may even be more ominous, right? So uh, we can visit about uh, why that becomes a tool for change, a tool for transformation, rather than um, certain uh, demise, right? And, and, and more of the sky is falling. Uh, but, you know, uh, higher ed has been, and of course, I'm grateful uh, because not only am I a product, but had committed kind of career and, and personal journey uh, to the enterprise, has uh, had uh, both systemic uh, and structural uh, challenges, deficits, uh, that have built up over time. And they're pretty well known. And, and I think, uh, again, I appreciate your work and kind of calling attention to the fact that college just costs too much. Uh, it takes too long to get a degree, especially with the accelerated pace of learning that technology and other tools bring to the table. Uh, without question, kind of the clarion call from the outside world is that there's a skills gap that exists between degrees and and the outcomes of that degree, and then the, the skills and competencies, the, the talent required to drive uh, not just this current workforce, but kind of a 22nd century workforce forward. And then uh, a lot of attention uh, accumulated uh, over time about the actual dollars that students have to borrow to uh, afford college. Well, you, you know, um, as these kind of structural deficits play out in so many different ways on almost every campus, uh, you know, in 2008, uh, kind of driven by a recession, uh, I, I really believe that kind of that value proposition, the cost price, uh, you know, question would be drawn in to, to both public policy and, and public perception in ways that would affect change. Um, Unfortunately, that just didn't happen, right? Um, and uh, and then uh, you know we experienced something of, of perhaps even more significant nature in a global pandemic. And I, and I think, like most social systems, right, those band aids have been ripped off. Uh, those structural deficits exposed in ways where most of us was you know were trained to to grow out of our problems to to generate more uh, than we're spending. And, uh, you know, those historic models and somewhat of that historic culture 
uh, is just not going to work anymore. Um, and so here we find ourselves with um, not just individual in institutions, but in many ways, uh, the overall sector uh, being challenged with things that we're not necessarily totally equipped uh, to, to meet. And so the, the book itself, you've characterized the industry. The, the book itself, is it, is it upbeat? Is it scary? Is it, is it a cookbook for healthy colleges, for weak colleges? Talk about the book itself. So, um, you know, colleges on the brink really kind of recognizes, again, uh, at the enterprise level, that these systemic challenges left unaddressed uh, literally puts us all at risk. And when I say all, I mean public and private, uh, two-year and four-year geographically, that we're all somewhat, Gary, on this uh, sliding scale. Some would say uh, perhaps you might characterize as a, a downward spiral. Um, and it really just depends on your size and, and your assets about how long, right, you have to address these at kind of an elevated level from crisis management all the way to uh, restructuring to re-engineering uh, to innovation. Uh, and obviously, the more means you have, the longer you have, and perhaps uh, the, the less dramatic uh, the time frame in which you have to affect change. And, uh, you know, as you, you ask questions about upbeat versus kind of sky is falling, is uh, it positive? Is it negative? Is it a meant to be uh, kind of a burning platform? Uh, or is it hopeful? Uh, is it creative? Is it responsive to new models, perhaps inverted paradigms in terms of both how we deliver and, and, uh, and what the outcomes are? Uh, it's really both. But uh, there is some key learnings, not only within the book, but within the journey, uh, that's more of a call to action. And uh, if there's a, an underlying theme to, to where we find ourselves uh, on campuses, it's just don't wait too long uh, to affect change. And uh, the more proactive and more offensive you are in addressing some of both the systemic disparities, but more importantly, the structural challenges and deficits, uh, the more likely you are that you can emerge in what's next. And uh, I think for higher education, there's definitely a what next, and I think it's going to be new models that will emerge, and I think it'll be quite exciting when you combine learning uh, with the advances that we're making across systems to, to do college differently. And uh, hopefully college is on the brink is uh, how to weather the storm, uh, but then how to consider uh, all of the ingredients available to us to, to create a sustainable model into the future. And let's talk terms. And I'm kind of going through, there's, there's eight chapters in the book, I believe. And I'm kind of going to talk about something from each of the chapters. And chapter two talks about financial exigency. And of course, in higher education, we have to have fancy schmancy words to define what's going on. And, and financial exigency is kind of like fiduciary. Nobody in our world really understands that. But if you would, please, you know, leave fiduciary alone. That We can do that another day. But you make the case in the book that a declaration of financial ex exigency is not necessarily an end game event. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, actually the American Association of University Professors states it probably in, in terms that 
uh, when you're going through it, help me not only understand it, but operationalize it. It's, you know, simply when a college either waits too long or fails to act, that puts the long-term survivability of the institution at risk. Uh, most of it determined by financial health uh, and viability, using uh, a term that, that you uh, focus on. Uh, but it's overall kind of net productivity. And, and I, I was asked this question last week, uh, and, and I thought it was a, a great way to frame it. Is there other correlation, uh, something that you would compare it to? And it's a lot like what healthcare uh, has gone through over the last decade to move more towards an outcome-based uh, model. Uh, when I say outcome-based, it's both funding and, and kind of, uh, you know, certainly uh, positive outcomes for both the, the patient uh, and uh, the, uh, the recovery. But um, financial exigency is, is just a tool to put an institution on elevated uh, response to uh, really uh, re-engineering. And uh, the term I use probably very more frequently than, than any other is, is just an allocation of resources. It's a reallocation model um, that has to take what is uh, narrowing margins and increasingly scarce resources and applying them to the things that matter the most. Uh, you know, it's a term that's been within higher education uh, over 100 years, but you're right, probably one of the least understood terms. Uh, it's different from bankruptcy uh, in the, the for-profit sector because uh, you actually cannot fend off your creditors. Uh, you still have to pay your bills, uh, but it's a means by which, similar to bankruptcy, uh, that you think differently about your resources uh, and you uh, much more aggressively make decisions based on um, presenting uh, fiscal integrity first uh, and then a sustainable business model into the future. And then we jump to the next chapter, which is the, the numbers that every college should know. And I want to kind of refine that to every college leader should know. And you and I have discussed the College Viability app that I have and its capacity to compare public and private colleges, over 30 different fields, reports, whatever it is, and it covers finances and outcomes and enrollment and stuff like that. And on pages 63 and 64 in the book, you list what every president knows or should know about, about numbers, about these numbers. My perception is too many college leaders are caught up in the academic issues and not really the numbers detailing a college's financial position. Do you agree or not? You know, um, I, I think it's, um, it's easy to say that every leader and every institutional set of circumstances are different. They are. Um, but uh, at the same time, I maybe come at that uh, premise just a little differently. Um, you know, as you emerge towards senior leadership, uh, and you think about the things that you have to, to, to really focus on every day, uh, I actually believe uh, most leaders, and I would say most college presidents, know. Uh, they know where the, the potholes are. Uh, they, uh, they can work directly with uh, other senior level resources like CFOs and 
and chief academic officers and others. Uh, and uh, granted, uh, we may not all be cost accountants or economists, um, but uh, the learning curve for leadership is uh, really pretty quick uh, in regards, uh, you mentioned fiduciary, but you know that uh, really uh, primary role the president plays along with the board uh, to, to understand uh, where you are financially, how you're performing in terms of overall uh, revenues, but more particularly net revenues and discount rates. And uh, the things that have really uh, narrowed our ability to uh, present the resources required to, to operate. Uh, the problem is, right, that, that most of our spend is in people. And uh, if the less, left side of your brain knows where the pothole holes are uh, as a president, uh, the right side really knows all the tools that you have available. Uh, and most of us worked every day trying not to use them uh, to actually align those resources to present uh, operating statements. Um, you know, uh, again, in the corporate sector, we just say simple P&L uh, statements that are uh, within the kind of operating tolerances we would say have integrity. Right. So you you know what the challenges are on one side of the brain, uh, but all of the tools that you have available to basically right size uh, your overall net revenue with your expenses uh, involve making decisions that impact people. Um, and that's why um, leading uh, colleges and universities uh, is so difficult uh, because your all of your assets all of your product all of your 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 customers have a direct impact on people's lives their their uh, livelihood um and you know there there's again uh energy and potential and and creativity with what's possible on one side of the equation um but the accumulation of cost and and you know our overcapacity the declining demographics um, you know, debt burdens that were used to advance agendas, all of these have kind of caught up to us uh, and makes that equation today even more difficult. And that's why uh, there's a fundamental question, Gary, within the book. And I think uh, certainly some fundamental questions that, that you seek to answer with your, your tool and your efforts. Uh, but every institution really ought to know what it costs to produce a degree. And if you take that down to the program level or the instructor level, you can quickly see that, uh, you know, there's misalignment between how we generate our resources and how much they cost. And it's not to um, it is not to um, just cost cut, uh, reduce spend, eliminate programs. It's just to improve performance. Yeah. Um, the more students we have, the longer they stay, the more value they feel in their degree. Uh, and doing that as efficiently as possible is a very positive construct and one really that the, the book lifts up uh, more as a playbook uh, to a sustainable future. Yeah, and you mentioned programs. And one of the projects I'm working on um, is the completions project. And I use iPads data to 
compare completions. And an example I have is there's a university, private university in Illinois, that graduates six students per year in communications programs, and one that graduates 122 students per year. And I make the case, or I'm trying to make the case with that with that kind of analogy, that what's the college with six graduates doing? You know, it's kind of like the guy who does the open heart surgery. You just as soon go to the guy who does 122 a year as opposed to the guy who does six a year. Is that a logical extension of the application of program completion? Oh, it, it absolutely is. And, and I think, uh, you know, for many years between mission drift and, and just uh, trying to drive enrollments and, and adding programs uh, to, uh, you know, extend levers for, for students to attend, uh, you know, we've often been criticized for, you know, everybody doing basically the same thing, not having distinction within the marketplace. Um, and that's one reason, Gary, you know, the, the book lifts up the power of systems, certainly mergers and acquisitions, shared services, but the real gains, right, for finding new ways to be more efficient uh, is not every college, public or private in Illinois needs a communications program. Right, right. Uh, there, you've got you know, twice the number of programs for half the number of students. And uh, let's take public policy in Arkansas as an example, where you have 30,000 uh, high school graduates uh, a year, only half of them go to college, you have 10 public universities. And if you share, you know, those college going students equally across offerings, um, the last calculation, uh, and this is just off of my, my memory, Gary, was something like every institution would get 353 new students a year, right? I mean, it, it's just a, a capacity issue that we've overbuilt uh, opportunity. Uh, and, uh, you know, you throw the, the price-cost equation on top of that, and students now actively making decisions on the basis of, is college worth it? Uh, and it really, you know, puts strain uh, on your market. And uh, I tell you, one of my best friends and, and one of the best thought leaders in this space uh, who taught me this um, well over a decade ago simply puts it mission, market, margin. Uh, and of course, we hear, you know, in the private and public sector, no, you know, no margin, no mission. Uh, but it's the alignment of those three. And, and so that equation that you offered in terms of communications and the number of graduates, um, as the book points out, um, students basically hire us to do three jobs. Uh, and that's open the door of access and opportunity, get them across the finish line with a degree and make sure that degree uh, is meaningful to be competitive in both life and work. Well, you know, that isn't, you know, that's a public policy kind of uh, objective, it's a system objective, it's an institutional objective, but it comes down to really, uh, today it comes down to the program level of analysis that uh, again, every college needs to know uh, what the, the net cost of a program and a degree uh, is. And then again, it's not to make decisions of whether you keep degrees or, or eliminate them, it's simply just to improve performance, right? To, 
know that we all have shared stake in how many students we have and, and how long they are to take. Um, and so I, I actually, uh, you know, with your questions, feel uh, that the book is much more of a, a positive. Uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel if you use data-informed decision-making and not afraid to make decisions with the, the data you're willing to generate. And you kind of test on this earlier, and in chapter four, the title is The Journey Through Financial Exigency. And if there's a news report that says Chuck Ambrose University announced financial exigency today, that's not a good thing. But yet my perception is the book focuses on saying, well, it's not a good thing, but it's a recoverable thing. Can you kind of expand on that just a little bit more? Well, um, and I'll put it in real uh, value terms. Uh, when you're sitting uh, with rating agencies like Moody's and Fitch, and um, they're very specific within their uh, outreach institutions to say financial exigency uh, can be a credit positive. Um, I would suggest today that those institutions that are, are having immediate financial challenges of presenting uh, operating integrity, that a declaration of financial exigency is much better than not having one. Um, because again, the longer you wait, the more difficult the decisions uh, and uh, literally the more impact you're going to assert on, on members of your community. And when we, I guess we'll jump ahead to the, to the fifth chapter, and the title of this is The Freedom Protection Coefficient. Nice naming, by the way. I have, I have noticed, and just in my own observations, I've noticed an increased frequency on criticism of how boards hire presidents. You suggest in this chapter, The Freedom Protection Coefficient, that presidents and other college leaders must be given freedom to take bold steps. And with that proposed freedom to act, you suggest, what guidance would you give to these boards looking to hire new presidents? Just focus on the private colleges for right now. Yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to lift up and I, I need to mention I had a, an incredible co-author partner, uh, longtime colleague friend um, that um, we um, in, in thinking about the fifth chapter in the freedom and protection coefficient, uh, I'll be transparent, Gary. I wanted to name the book that. And, and Mike Nitzel, who um, served as governor's advisor for education in Missouri, was present, president of Missouri State and provost of Kentucky. Uh, he, um, he kind of argued against that. I, I, I yield. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but at the same time, um, as I told Eric Kelderman in the Chronicle, when I literally uh, volunteered to go to Henderson, knowing it was an institution under distress, knowing that we needed uh, to lead differently, um, really to bring the arsenal of, of tools and experiences that had accumulated over uh, 23 years, at that time, 20 years of being a college president. and. Uh, and demonstrate, right, what it was going to take um, to be sustainable into the future. Uh, I, I, I was very explicit with him to say it's like a, a job that I've never experienced, even though I had been uh, 
president of a private institution, president of a public institution and a nonprofit foundation, it was as if it was almost like a, uh, a new job, uh, certainly a different set of, of qualifications, which means both candidates for the position as well as boards who are doing the hiring need to consider that these aren't the same jobs. Uh, and uh, the characteristics uh, that are typically within those prospectus for candidates, the, uh, the expected deliverables for leadership uh, have to be refocused on the realities uh, that are today, like holding two ends of a polarized world together on a college campus, which is you know, called directly into the news and very uh, difficult for leaders to do. So if they aren't empowered uh, with the delegated authority of governance behind them and supported in ways uh, that can get quite personal uh, in, um, in the effect of the kinds of decisions they have to make, uh, it's not just kind of a lonely job. It's one uh, that, it, that at least you know, current research would say is uh, shortening the lifespan considerably. You know, I was very, very privileged to, to lead a, a Methodist private college for over a, uh, a decade, 12 years, uh, and eight years within the public sector. And um, I couldn't have done that uh, if I weren't in full partnership uh, of one mind and one heart, not just with my board chair, but with the entire board, uh, knowing that we were going to stay focused uh, on um, a North Star that transcended uh, the problems that we would have to deal with every day. So uh, it's, uh, I would put governance, strategic governance, uh, and effective governments at the top of the list in regards to uh, what is required for a sustainable future. And, you know, I would, you know, if I got a chance to vote, uh, I would vote for Mike Nitzel's choice of titles for the book, Colleges on the Brink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's even uh, kind enough to a friend to say, well, that's that's Ambrose's term. So uh, <laughs> I, I'll claim it. Uh, but, you know, there is a, you know, there's a significant amount of Colleges on the Brink that focuses uh, on the Henderson story, and unfortunately, the the deficits for both the private sector, because as the state's public liberal arts institution, uh, which demanded small class sizes, and uh, you know a lot of programs within our arts and humanities, many of the again challenges that small private colleges are facing, uh, along with some of the the more pronounced. Uh, public institution challenges kind of all found themselves at one place at one time. And so to um, literally uh, take a public university through a financial exigency and cost containment within the last five and a half months of a fiscal year, uh, if governance between the Arkansas State University Board and the leadership of the Arkansas State University system weren't solidly behind uh, the change management uh, agenda, it, it never would have worked. Um, and uh, rarely does a college president, and I'm grateful for Asa Hutchison uh, being included within the book and his perspective about leadership, uh, 
but when you go to the governor and say, well, our choices are to declare exigency and, and reduce uh, our overall spend, or I'm going to give you the, the, the keys to the university, 80 acres um, in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, and $78 million of debt back to the state, uh, you, you kind of understand what the stakes are. And, you know, as, as we get toward the end of the book here, chapter six is the resistance. And when you talk about good titles, Brian Rosenberg, and he's going to be on the podcast next week, Brian Rosenberg's new book is entitled, Whatever It Is, I Don't Like It. <laughs> and while College is on the Brink is a great title, Rosenberg's title, I think, is even better. And it really ties in to what you're doing there. And it, 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 it's a reference to his experience, of course, as a college president of McAllister College up in Minnesota. And I guess what I would call the prototypical responses he received from his faculty on, on effectively any proposal that had any substantive change on his college's business model. And in the book, Colleges on the Brink, great title, by the way, you offer, you offer that this resistance has three components. And just briefly review those three components because, you know, college presidents, college boards listening to this are going to say, yeah, but the faculty aren't going to go for this for a minute. Well, you know, um, I, um, I have to think about my answer, uh, Gary, because um, even in the immediacy of Henderson being so relatively current, um, I, I've always had the, the firm belief that campuses and, and uh, faculty and staff, um, they want to change. They, they, I don't think that uh, I think given um, the majority of individuals on campus, especially when you turn attention to the deficits of student success uh, and the, the, really the, the gaps that are created for student achievement in terms of being able to stay in college and complete degrees, uh, if I said that we had more students in collections than we had enrolled. Uh, I believe that members of a campus community uh, want to change that, right? Uh, but colleges, uh, we're, we're not the best learning communities for our own internal constituencies. We don't, we don't really teach people how colleges work. We don't utilize modified cash budgets to demonstrate that we only bring in this much money a month for the end of the fiscal year. This is how much we spend. And oh, by the way, we're going to have a real challenge paying you in June. Uh, well, the, the more knowledge you, know, you have, the more uh, intentionality and, and more uh, motivation you have to, to change. Uh, but at the same time, when it comes down to impacting me, um, and uh, I, I think that is space that probably more work needs to be asserted uh, than any of engaging early, uh, having an expectation of moving, uh, as, as several commentators have said, from shared governance to shared responsibility. Uh, for those institutions, Gary, with resources, I think there's ways to incentivize um, people's ability to buy in to affecting change um, because we really don't incentivize performance 
down to the program and certainly the instructional level. One quick example, at the University of Central Missouri, uh, we had 11 programs of well over 100 that educated 40% of our, our students. They were signature programs. It was what we were known for. But our budget processes and our allocation of resources and the reward structure for those who were literally building national, if not international, reputation uh, don't receive much reward. They, they have uh, subsidies that they carry to, to really make a difference for those communication programs, like you mentioned in Illinois. Uh, but so our, our overall, again, with the, the right data and the tools that we lift up, there's a, a way to build models that, that could actually, um, you know, you want to invert college, you, you're going to have to invert the resistance to advocacy right? because uh, you've got to have the, the full campus buy-in. Uh, but there is a playbook that exists for decision makers uh, and it's been played out very publicly uh, with everything from no confidence votes to uh, yeah. social media uh, elevated uh, resistance uh, to uh, you know, formal opportunities for um, censure. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that has to be balanced, right, against some of the other more public recognition you can have if you don't fix it, like accreditation, uh, you know, state approval. Uh, so all, all that said is that uh, the resistance is to be expected but structures, processes, and tools used properly uh, has to uh, begin to recognize that uh, kind of moving that resistance to more active engagement and ultimately advocacy for new models is going to be required for this next generation of leaders. And then the last chapter is entitled Beyond Exigency. And you have, in the previous chapters, stepped the readers through the overview, the process about all the things we've talked about. And the first sentence in that last chapter, and I'm going to quote this, you write that a financial exigency need not be the death blow to a college. All right. And, and you've done it. The book is well worth it just for the process to get there. But there's an internal perception and a public perception. And if the headline reads, Gary Stalker University declares financial exigency, how do you overcome the public perception that Stalker University is not going to make it? Yeah, and, and you know, that, that's a great, um, a great way to frame the question, uh, Gary. And, and you know, uh, we've heard this. I'm not going to say it's a myth because... Uh, People who will, will challenge you and say you can't cut your way to sustainability uh, are partly right, you know. Uh, but if if the expense side, the fixed cost side, the overhead, the debt service, uh, if if you build an institution that expenses will far outseed any student's willingness and ability not only to pay tuition but provide other sources of support. Uh, you have to, as, as we've suggested in the book, you kind of have to floor yourself financially to a base 
where you can look at people in the eye and say, we are operating with fiscal integrity. We are operating within our means. And that's kind of a fundamental starting point. Again, requisite to say that fiscal integrity is our first goal. But then from there, uh, I firmly believe uh, that uh, there are transcendent values. Uh, the data is still clear that college degrees and the skills that are accompanying them is a, one of the greatest differentiators for social, economic, and educational equality uh, and equity. Uh, that if we are willing to uh, invert our model, and uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, images uh, is the the transformation from a, a school that requires college ready students to an institution that's built to be student ready. Uh, if if we actively commit ourselves uh, to reimagining college that actually works for students, and uh, invert our performance from more students actually do graduate than leave without a degree, or more students can present degrees that have lifetime earning potential greater than what they've had to borrow to pay for it. Uh, I, I believe that many of the, the, the new uh, models for education are going to still emerge out of our existing system. Uh, but there's also going to be a whole next generation of uh, new learning tools and new learning opportunities that are going to have to be blended. Uh, and, and one of my favorite examples, and we lifted up two students who were absolutely pioneers and kind of affected as much change as, as any administrator or trustee. Um, but the, the blending of, of school to work uh, the blending of high school to college to, to work. Uh, when you take the, the potential uh, for learning that young people have today and remove some of the artificial barriers like high school and two-year and four-year colleges and make it seamless, uh, and you partner with those business and industries that have such a high demand for these skills, uh, you can create... Uh, efficiencies of resources, but you can really present a multiplier of outcomes. Um, and, uh, but, right, you've got to be able to say that we are going to steward our resources in ways that best use your investment of not just uh, your tuition dollars, um, but that sacrifice of time and effort you make uh, to accomplish great things when you go to college. So, Chuck, the book is available when, and how do I get it? So, uh, the book is available uh, on Friday, December the 15th. Uh, it's available for pre-order, uh, like all books are, on Amazon, uh, under Colleges uh, on the Brink, uh, and um, on the, the publisher's website of Roman Littlefield. Uh, and can have the option of, of just a simple Google Colleges on the Brink, uh, the case for financial exigency, and it will be in your hands in time for Christmas. It can uh, be a great dinner conversation uh, because I, I recognize that financial exigency is just 
the topic that everybody's <laughs> to, to talk about. But in all seriousness, we have been very heartened by the response. We've had some uh, great friends uh, give us uh, feedback and, and uh, input along the way. Um, and uh, it would be true, especially for Mike and I, to say it's, it's the accumulation of decades of friendships and work together uh, with the belief uh, that the hope for college uh, can still be fulfilled. So my guest today has been Dr. Chuck Ambrose, co-author, along with Mike Nitzel, of Colleges on the Brink, coming out in about, what, nine days, something like that. Uh, to put it mildly, it is a very challenging market in higher education today. College on the Brink does a good job and takes a realistic look at the traumas and challenges of higher education and offers a reasonable business prescription for colleges really throughout our country. Dr. Ambrose, thanks for joining us. I wish you every success with the book. Gary, thanks for having me. And I I do want to say I just appreciate uh, your advocacy on behalf of those that depend on college um, and uh, keep, keep on keeping on with your focus. I appreciate that. Until next time, this is Gary Stocker with the special edition of This Week in College Viability.